DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. Listen to this great offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention. Bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you can claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wager paid and site credits only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and as always, I am joined by Nick Horwat, and we have a great show for you guys today. Chug along here in the early stages of the NHL offseason for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Today, we're going to look at the Penguins roster in review, starting a series that we're going to be doing over the next two weeks called Roster in Review. Today, we will be reviewing the Pittsburgh Penguins top six forwards followed on Thursday by the bottom six next Monday's episode will be the defenseman and next Thursday will be the goaltending but like I mentioned today we have a review of the Penguins top six from this season a look at head at what we believe they should be doing next season or where their goals are for next season and then of course we're going to finish off this episode as we always do with a weekly pens poll but before we get into all of that Horwat. It's only been a couple days since we last recorded. There's been a lot of interesting things happening with the NHL playoffs. What is one thing to you that has stood out the last couple of days in the NHL playoffs? Ooh, what has stood out? It's funny you ask me what has stood out because I think I've watched the least amount of playoffs since we last recorded. So let me check the summaries real quick. on every- <laughs> So for what I, I mean, Colorado is obviously up to nothing. A big old overtime victory. Yeah. For Colorado, hey, at least um, Flurry was back in net where he should have been. I think, oh, man, are you talking like the playoffs as a whole, or are you just talking just, just anything last... that, that caught your caught your attention during the last couple of days? I know the Shifley and the Reeves suspensions mm-hmm. were, were big topics, and, and honestly, the Cadre one, yeah, the Cadre one was a couple. I think that was a week ago, though. So I mean, but he's appealed it twice, and honestly, given the decision-making of of the Department of Player Safety prior to that, I can't blame them. Yeah. I can't. As awful it is to say that, I can't blame them. They gave 
Uh, Tom Wilson, nothing. So why not, in your defense, draw that comparison? That should be his only defense for uh, appealing it, by the way. And then, yeah, you got the Reeves thing thrown in there. The Shifley hit getting tossed in there. Mm. I mean, what has, I guess you could say the Department of Player Safety and the actual player safety issues has become, once again, the talking point of the playoffs and has stood out the most. But I'm going to switch it a little bit because I don't want to go on that rant. Yeah. I refrained from doing it when the Kadri thing happened. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go on it now because. Reasons. Yeah, because it, it'll just take all episode. But um, I want to say that. The goaltending carousels that have started in Vegas and New York, ironically. Really? I I, kind of feel like it's the opposite in this playoffs. Yes, New York with Varlamov and Sorokin is, I think, the the exception to the mean. But (laughs) Vegas, they learned pretty quickly after they put Robin Leonard in in Game 1 that that's not how these playoffs are going to work. I mean, you look at some of the other teams. Yeah, Carolina switched over to Mrazic too, I guess. But the teams that have had success... You know, Colorado with Grubauer, you know, Vasilevsky down there in Tampa. You look up in the Canadian division, Carey Price and Connor Hellybuck. This is a playoffs that has relied upon one really sturdy goaltender. And yeah, for the Islanders, it worked in the first round. So far in the second round, it hasn't been awful. I think Soroka needs to go back in. It worked for Car- for Carolina, and it definitely didn't work for Vegas. So... Yeah, and, th- and I'm talking. I'm mostly talking about Vegas and uh, mm-hmm. New York. Obviously, they're the only two teams that have switched goalies. But we're recording this Friday, Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. So get let's know this now. Let's put that into recording now before I ask this about Vegas. If Flurry and the Knights lose tonight, do they go back to Leonard down three zero? No, I-, I think you stick with Mark Andre Flurry at this okay. point. Okay. And now my second question is for New York since. They just lost in overtime. Again, they play tomorrow. What are they doing? So was are they going back to Sorokin? What happens if he loses? In my opinion, the performance of Sorokin in Game 1 did not warrant being sat in Game 2. And I get that exactly. Varlamov is pretty pretty good goaltender, but if you look at the way Sorokin played in the first round, I would think his leash should have been a little bit longer than that. So I was surprised to see Semyon Varlamov starting in Game 2 for the Islanders, of course. Them being able to win it in overtime gives him the additional added boost to be able to be the Game 3 starter. And he didn't play poorly in Game 3. It was a close game. It was 2-1. to one. And that goal, pop, contrary to popular belief, was a hard save to make. But I don't want to get too too deep into the playoff discussion because we do have a lot of Penguin stuff to talk about. But um, do you have anything else that you wanted to say? Uh, no, those are the only things that have really stuck out the most to me. That And... Um... Uh man, I, I, it's hard to stick my flag anywhere but in Colorado right now. Yeah, I'm just enjoying watching the playoffs at this point. I don't have a team that I think I would hate to see win. I know a lot of people that are Penguins fans don't want to see Boston or New York win, but I'm not too upset about any of it, to be honest. Yeah, those are the only two teams. Maybe Tampa Bay because they won last year. Yeah, but it's hard to hate Tampa Bay. Because, it is I mean, hard to hate Tampa Bay. It helps that they kind of cheated the system. Well, they're not cheating the system. They're using the system the correct way mm-hmm. with Nikita Kucherov. But they're just exposing its flaws. I think, but I think we want the Penguins to still be held in high regard as the only team to win in back-to-back years since uh, in the Cap era. So, yeah, selfishly a little bit. Yes. So I would say the only three teams I don't want to see win are going to be Boston, New York, and Tampa. So Carolina, it is up to you to get out of the East, or at least I should say the uh, Central. 
well, what would be the East. Yeah, I, I guess that's what, the I way guess. it goes. It's a really weird system, but yeah. we'll be able to discuss that on future episodes. Let's dive into the Pittsburgh Penguins talk here. I already mentioned we're doing a roster and review, talking about the top six on today's episode. But before we get into that, of course, make sure you subscribe if you like our episodes. Download our episodes weekly. We appreciate any of the support that you guys can give us. We're in season two. Of course, we will be back for season three starting next year. But let's get started with the Penguins top six. I want to start with the wingers and specifically the top line wingers. First and foremost, I want to talk about Jake Gensel a little bit. He had 23 goals this year, 57 points in 56 games. Of course, playing that full season, getting the Iron Penguin Award from the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. But of course, playing a full season after having shoulder surgery last year that ended his season. Of course, luckily he was able to come back due to the COVID layoff for the playoffs, but it didn't really perform all that well. But with that full complement of games played this year, that makes three of Jake Gensel's first five seasons complete. He played in every single game. Of course, his first one, he came up and was brought up about halfway through the year. And last year, of course, he left about halfway through the year with injury. But Jake Gensel, a pillar of health other than that. And he had another good year this year. What have you thought about Jake Gensel this season? Damn it, you caught me with food in my mouth. Um, What have I thought of Jake Gensel? Well, he proved that he's still, you know, inching towards being an elite player in this league if he's not already there. Over a point per game in a season like this and against some difficult goaltending for the most part. I mean, yeah, he played with Crosby. So what? I mean, he's still proving to be um, able to do it by himself because, I mean, you don't just get 57 points handed to you by Sidney Crosby. Yeah. As much as people like to say that, you do still have to play on his wing. You can't just stand there and be onside. You do still have to play the game of hockey. And, yeah, I just think he's, if he is not already there, and I'll ask you this, he's inching towards elite-level talent. Do you think he is right now an elite player in the league? I think the word elite gets overused. So I'm going to say no. Jake Gensel's not an elite player. I think he is a really talented player, and I think he is in the upper echelon. He is for sure a first-liner in this league, but I I do think the word elite gets thrown around a little too easily these days. So I'm not going to give him that tag personally, but, I mean, he's one game away from career game played number 300. Clearly, he will get that at the start of next season with the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's crazy to think that he's been in the league for five years now. And he's just progressively gotten better each season. Last year, of course, being named to the all-star team. This year, there was no all-star team, but Jake Gensel still was able to put up a pretty solid season. It seemed almost like an underrated season, considering where everybody else thought and what everybody else looked at him like. But I thought he had a really good season. Self-admittedly, he came to the conclusion that he needs to be bigger, and he needs to get bigger and bulk up in this offseason. He wants to put on some muscle. And it's good that he came to that conclusion and wasn't told that by the organization. That means it's more likely to me that I think that means it's more likely to happen. He only had a goal and an assist in these playoffs. And that's the reason that he wants to bulk up a little bit. He's a great regular season performer and he has shown that he is a great postseason performer, but the book yeah. is kind of out on him. If you pound him around a little bit, if you knock him down, if you punish him a little bit, it's going to make it difficult for him to be, a factor, and that's what the Islanders were able to do to him. 
I also think part of that is deployment of him being the net front presence for that line, which I think is completely, it, it's not in his wheelhouse, but he still does it at a very high level. So I would honestly think that he's going to come back and on, have another good season. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to make it three straight seasons with a point a game. If he does, that's very impressive, especially if he does it in an 82 game season, considering the last two have been what he played 40 games last season. He played 56 this season. So it's still a point a game, but it'll be more impressive if he does it over an 82 game slate. I mean, he wants to get bigger and bulkier. He's already standing at 5'11", 180, which is about me. So yeah, he's going to grow to be a big kid if he can really add on to that frame I mean I mean yeah I, yeah because I still see myself as kind of a thin little kid you know but I'm about 180 if not a little under that so Gensel can pick up his weight I like the idea of that especially if he's doing it in bulk mm-hmm. kind of like we like I said um, a couple months ago I think that's what Bluegert started doing I mean we know he's not the biggest kid out there but he seems to have gotten wider um, yeah, Gensel getting wider could be a lot of fun, especially if he is going to be playing that net front presence because that's where he's going to be. I guess you got to put on a little size, a little toughness, and I like the idea that he's taking that sort of initiative and not a skill-based one. It's yeah. a little different for a player. It is different, and it kind of takes him out of his norm. What would you say to, at the beginning of the next season, if possible, what would you think if the Penguins decided to drop him with Gino and Kapanen? Ooh, a fun little change like that could... It could be interesting. I mean, because Crosby's able to play with anyone, but I think I hear it all the time that um, Gensel has succeeded in playing with Crosby so well because to play with Crosby, you have to not just be a talented player. You have to think the game Mm -hmm. at an elite level. Yeah, I know you hate using that word, but that's what you have to do to play with Crosby. Jake Gensel is a coach's son. So you know he thinks the game like that. He um, possesses that sort of mindset, that hockey IQ, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying it would be a bad thing to put him with Malkin, give Malkin someone who's got a little more hockey IQ, but then it's a matter of you got to find the right replacement who's got that game sense to sit with Crosby again. Mm -hmm. And yeah, players can work for a little while. We saw it with Zucker for a little bit, but was that sustainable more than just last season? I mean, let's be honest. We were talking about Zucker last season. Like, man, it's going to be fun to watch him play with Crosby and play with this team for the next however many years his contract is. Now we're thinking, hey, if Vegas, or if uh, Seattle takes him, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. So that's what happened with Zucker. So who knows exactly what kind of if, – if you drop Gensel to the second line, I don't hate it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw Malkin and – Gensel have success, but it's just a matter of who's slotting back in with Sid, and is it going to work out there? Because, again, Sid was already annoyed once or twice in his career for a revolving door of wingers. Mm -hmm. So, I don't hate it, though. Listen, it's been 16 years for Sid with a revolving door of wingers. This year was the first year that I think that he's actually had a pretty consistent base for who he's on his wing, and even if you think about that, he still had Kapanen and Rodriguez at points during last season. But I do like what you said there with Jake Gensel being a cerebral player, and mm-hmm. I think that's something that goes to his game as well. I think it'd be good to watch him with Kapanen and Gino. I think he would complement them extremely well, especially his playmaking ability with Kapanen's speed 
and Gino, yeah. who has lost a step, and he's going to be 35 going into the next season, which we'll talk about. But I, I think it would definitely benefit Gino and Cappy to have Gensel on their wing, and I don't think it would hurt Sidney Crosby as much. It, it would probably hurt a little bit because of how good of a rapport those two have, but I think it'd be an interesting decision for Mike Sullivan to make if he wants to switch things up a little bit and get a little bit of a jolt to start the season. But you mentioned Jason Zucker, so let's get into him right now. He's probably, of this top six, probably the weakest link. And unfortunately, it shows by his performance this season, and he was the subject of a lot of flack from Penguins fans and Penguins Twitter and Penguins social media. He kind of rightfully deserved it. He missed a lot of games due to injury, only played 38 games this year, but he still only scored nine goals and only matched that with nine assists as well. I mean, he scored just as many goals as Zach Aston Reese. And you mentioned for a guy that we paid Kalen Addison, a price of Kalen Addison and a first round pick this year. Like we don't have our first round pick this year to have Jason Zucker on this team. And for him to only kind of match Zach Aston Reese in goals, you need a little bit more from him. Um, Was he the team leader in plus minus? He was. He won the green jacket for us, too, so there's that. Um, Yeah, I mean, again, you don't want to lose him for nothing. Whenever I mentioned Seattle earlier, yeah. him, you don't want to lose him for nothing because he is still a talented player, and you ideally probably want to um, keep him around. But it's just a very, very interesting situation with him because who knows exactly what happened this year who knows if he was ever 100% healthy you know for most of it but um, yeah he's definitely the weakest link like you said and you just want to see him be better I'm not saying we should get rid of him I'm not saying we should lose him I'm just saying we want to see him be better yeah and here's the thing with him a lot of people didn't like Derek Broussard when he came to the Pittsburgh Penguins because he wasn't getting results. But nobody ever questioned his effort in Pittsburgh. And it's the same thing with Alex Galchenyuk when he came over. He didn't get any results. He got less results than Jason Zucker did, but nobody ever questioned his resolve or his want to to perform for Pittsburgh. It's the same thing with Jason Zucker. Nobody is questioning how much he wants to perform for this team because he is there and it seems like he puts in the work extremely well. He works very hard in the games. He works very hard in practice. You can see that from any video you watch. Just the results haven't quite been there. He had a really good start at the beginning with Sidney Crosby as soon as he came over in 2019-20 season. He didn't do all that great in the bubble, but not many people did in 2020. Yeah. And then this season, like you mentioned, that leg injury it looked really bad and he was out for about 20 games. So it makes sense that it's going to be tough for him to come back and be amazing right off the bat. If you look at his playoff performance, I think that's more so along the lines of what you want to see from Jason Zucker. He only had three points in the six games, but he created a lot of opportunities with Evgeny Malkin and with Kasperi Kapanen. I thought he played extremely, extremely well in the postseason against the New York Islanders. And yes, he is a potential name for Seattle. I don't think the Penguins are going to use a protection on him simply because of some of the other players that they're going to need to protect because he's a little bit older and has a higher cap hit. And if I'm Seattle, honestly, I wouldn't mind adding a guy like Jason Zucker. He's a guy yeah. that is going to come out there. He's going to be, you know, he's going to put in the effort. He's going to play a fast style of game. He's a physical player as well. So he's an entertaining player to watch. If only he can just get his hands under control, he could be a very, very effective player for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So if he does stay on the Penguins, 
I don't know where I would necessarily slot him in, especially if I'm moving Jake Gensel to that wing. I don't know if I'm putting Zucker back up on the top line. I might bump him down to the third to play with Jeff Carter. But that's a question for a little bit later once we see who is taken by Seattle. But honestly, I I don't hate Jason Zucker. I think he just had a bad year. And I think if he comes back next year, you're going to see him do a lot better than nine goals in 38 games. Yeah, also you're mentioning the the cap hit and the um, status of everything. He's only 29 and will be 29 until January. So it's not like he's that old and he's got, what, two years left on his deal? Yeah. I mean, yeah, if I'm Vegas, I'm barking up that tree a little bit. Or Vegas. Oh, I'm going to do that every time. (laughs) Seattle. If I'm Seattle, I'm probably taking a hard look at him if he is um, exposed. It's just a matter of time for that one because who knows what the cap situation will look like for Seattle come that time as well. 5-5 is... Not massive, mm-hmm. no, but it is bigger in the sense that maybe they need to fill a little space there. So that's a key there. But, you know, if he sticks around, I'm sure he'll improve because he'll have the offseason to recover fully. He'll have, you know, maybe he'll pull that whole Evgeny Malkin thing where you kind of realized, hey, I just was not good enough last year. A step up needs to happen, and it happens. That's what we're hoping for Jason Zucker. We still, I mean, at least on this podcast, we still believe in him. We still think he's a worthy addition. It, he still does also get compared to, as far as expectation-wise, what we traded for him. Because we traded Kalen Addison, who's a really good defensive prospect. We traded a first-round pick. And we also traded Alex Galchenyuk, which nobody really cares about at this point. He's just losing in Toronto. But let's move on to Brian Rust, somebody else that played with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin this season, starting the year off on Malkin's wing and then moving a couple weeks into the season up in the lineup to the first line to play with Sidney Crosby and excelling on the first line with Sidney Crosby. Brian Rust, 22 goals, 42 points in 56 games. He had 56 points in 55 games in 2019-20. So if you look at the last two regular seasons, that's 98 points in 111 regular season games played. That is fantastic numbers for Brian Rust, who is a trigger man at its core. He has a great shot. He has a great knack for scoring goals. And after two years ago, being a little bit inconsistent and then trying to find that consistency, these last two seasons have proved that he can be a consistent goal scorer. And next year, you have to think if he plays in 82 games with the Pittsburgh Penguins, he he's going to be knocking on 30 goals. You would at least think, right? I would think so. I mean, hell, he almost did it last year in uh, one game fewer. I absolutely think he can knock on 30, if not push 35. It's We know he's got that talent. You stick him with the right player, i.e. Sidney Crosby at center, and you've got that opportunity. A full 82-game slate, you're going to be facing every opponent in the league. You're going to have more opportunities for it. You'll, you know, not that you're playing you know, weaker opponents, but um, you're playing the different weaker opponents. You're playing Anaheim again, despite John Gibson. You're, you know, seeing Ottawa, seeing Matt Murray. <laughs> you're seeing every other team again, so who knows how he feels against other goalies. Mm-hmm. So um, I like this idea. I like the idea of him making 30 to 35 goals. I'm not going to say per season, but definitely next season. Now, once the... Penguins were eliminated from the playoffs this year by the New York Islanders. 
there was some news across the wire that Brian Rust, his name might be coming up in trade conversations for the Pittsburgh Penguins over the offseason. There were some people that said their Penguins are going to field calls for trades for Brian Rust. When we heard Ron Hextall talk earlier, last or late last week, I should say, he indicated that he's not going to try to trade any of these top six guys. He's definitely not going to try to trade anybody in the Penguins' core. And while I know Brian Russ doesn't really count as their main core, which is Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Brian Russ is kind of right in that second tier. And when Ron Hextall says he likes the team that they have, and he's not going to try to change too much because he liked what he saw from the Pittsburgh Penguins this year, I think Brian Rust is a part of that. I don't think he's a guy that you go out and trade. While he does have tremendous trade value, and you might even get back a first-round pick and a good prospect in a trade for Brian Rust, and then you unload a little bit of cap space, he has a really good contract, especially for a guy that, as we're talking about, could put up 30 goals next season. And it doesn't matter if he's playing on the first or second line. He'll get close to 30 goals. So I think that while he is a nice trade piece, it's sort of like Brian Dumoulin. It's a nice trade piece, but if you're serious about contending, that's not somebody you even think about trading. Maybe you field offers to see what's out there, but I don't think you pull the trigger unless anything blows you away. Yeah, I mean, you always, you can always field offers. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't that what we did with Latang? Or, sorry, not we. Isn't that what Rutherford did with Latang for a little while? Like, yeah. Multiple off seasons. You can always field offers. Hell, just for fun, I'm sure if in that big imaginary group chat that all the GMs have that we like to imagine, I'm sure I'd, if I was the general manager involved in that, I'm sure I'd say, just if I'm ever bored, just, hey guys, Crosby, and just leave it at that, just to see what's up. Because you can do that. Mm -hmm. Knowing it's not real, but um, yeah, you can always field offers for anyone just to see what kind of response and who people might throw at you. Yeah, they like to play armchair GM, maybe, is what you're thinking. They're real GMs, but they like the armchair GM of, hey, if I were to make him available, what's everybody thinking about? And now, on a realistic level, like we always mention, they have so much real work to do. I doubt they do any of these hypothetical things, but you never know what happens inside the NHL brotherhood of general managers. Right. Right. I just like the idea of a big old group chat. (laughs) Yeah, and Lou Lamorello losing his mind, but... He's trying to read it on his flip phone. (laughs) His Blackberries. Multiple Mm -hmm. Blackberries, like an NHL 12. But there's one more winger I want to talk about before we get to the two big centers, of course. Let's talk about Kasperi Kapanen. His first year back on the Pittsburgh Penguins since being reacquired from the Toronto Maple Leafs. He goes out, puts up 11 goals, 30 points in 40 games. He missed some time with a foot injury after blocking a shot and also missed some time due to visa issues the first couple of games of the season. But he excelled really on all forward lines. When he first came back from Finland, he was placed on the fourth line. He spent some time on the third line. Then, of course, he jumped up and played with Crosby a little bit. And then finally found a spot with Evgeny Malkin where those two really built a rapport and really started to build off of a chemistry with each other. But he excelled on all four lines. It seemed like he knew how he was going to make an impact no matter where he was playing, no matter how many minutes he was playing. I thought it was a great season for Kasperi Kapanen. And he kind of wrapped it up with a a semi-non-existent playoffs. I don't even want to say that because he had three points in six games. But it seemed like his impact wasn't as large in the postseason as it was in the regular season. But I don't want that to take away from how good he was in the regular season for the Pittsburgh Penguins when healthy. 
not at all. In fact, I mean, yeah, he may not have had the same sort of um, postseason or as good of a postseason we would have liked, but he impressed enough to put up a big goal in game one. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's hard whenever we only play six games. We don't have much of a, you know, barometer. Of, yeah, yeah. But for what it is worth, that one goal was huge. Mm-hmm. Timely. So, exactly huge timely when we know he can score like that he had done it in the season too it's definitely worth something i mean i think where he is is perfect that second line with malkin they've built a very good on ice relationship that you shouldn't be messing with yeah i think it's pretty obvious that kasperi kapanen of getting malkin are at least gonna start next season on the same line i would be very hard pressed to imagine mike sullivan trying to switch anything up as far as his twos, but I already mentioned maybe switching Gensel off. Who knows? Maybe they try Kapanen back up on the first line and put Gensel and Russ down with, with Evgeny Malkin. We're going to have plenty of plenty of time to speculate on what the lineup is going to look like, but we know year two of Kasperi Kapanen is coming up, and I'm very excited to see what he can do over 82 games. Now, why is the aura around Kasperi Kapanen so much different than the aura around Jason Zucker when Kapanen only scored two more goals than Zucker and he played in two more games. Is it really that much more important considering the fact that he still had 12 more points or is it just the way that they played? Yeah, I think you said it right by the uh, mentioning the 10 extra assists he had. Yeah, the aura is different because also because Kapanen... uh, came out like a brick shit house and did it immediately his first game in on the fourth line no less um said i'm here i'm back in this team i want to be here uh plus the aura is just a little different because sometimes when you're a fan favorite you get that little extra boost of being a better player yeah i think that's kind of why we look at tanev as a guy that oh he can play anywhere in in reality can he we haven't really seen it yet we just kind of assume but we were giving him that push because he's a fan favorite. So Kapanen gets that little boost of, um, hey, we like you more, so we're going to you know, give you this bump. Plus, that 10 assists goes a long way because if you tell me, because if you were to tell me right now that, hey, Kapanen finished the season with um, 40 games and 30 points, whereas Zucker finished with 38 and 18, I'd say, what the hell happened to Jason Zucker? Yeah. 10 assists is huge. Yeah, I just the only reason I bring up the goals is because both of these players are known to be goal scorers. I, I, they're they're meant to be goal scorers at least on that line, especially when you look at Evgeny Malkin in the season he had, where he didn't score goals either. So there's a right. a lack of goals being scored from the right wings and the centers. I, I shouldn't say both right wings and centers because the first line everybody scored goals, but on that second line at least, the right wing and the center. Really, the entire second line kind of struggled because then if you look at Zucker, who's the the, third, the left wing, he only had nine goals. So Kapanen, with only 11 goals, still led his line in goals throughout the season. But I, I think the big thing is, like you mentioned, Kasperi Kapanen, 30 points in 40 games is three quarters of a point per game. Zucker didn't even get to a half point a game. So that that does play a huge factor. But if you look at it, the Penguins have given up each of their last two first-round picks for both of these guys, you're going to hope for a little bit more. I, I think Kasperi Kapanen had a really good season. 
I again, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in a full 82 with Kapanen. And same with Zucker, though, because Zucker hasn't played a full season with the Penguins so far. So if they're both back, which I think Kapanen will get protected, I don't think Zucker will. But if they're both back, I'm very intrigued to see what happens with both of them. I don't know if Zucker stays in the top six. I think Kapanen pretty much has a spot glued there. Absolutely he does. And that's because it's that... Uh... Oh, I've been bad at words recently, clearly, because I couldn't remember festival last episode. Mm. That was the word. And now I can't remember. Chemistry. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, because he's built that chemistry with Malkin that you're not going to want to separate. It's why that fourth line has stayed together for so long. They built this chemistry that we don't want to break up, and it's yeah. productive. So it's they're going to stay together because of that alone. And that's probably why, I mean, yeah, you threw out the change, but that might be why Crosby and Kensel stay together as well. That's true. Yeah, it, there's a lot of reasons why people have said to move Kensel off of Crosby's wing, but it, it didn't happen at all this year, and it's going to be hard to imagine it happening at the beginning of next year. I just thought it was an idea, but let's talk about Sidney Crosby. He's a finalist for the Ted Lindsay Award, as we mentioned in our last episode. He had 24 goals this year, which led the team. He had 62 points this year, which led the team. And he had 55 games played, so he only missed one game, and that was due to a false positive COVID test. So he had a very healthy season at the age of 33. And he locked up a point per game in his 16th straight NHL season. Every year that Sidney Crosby has played, he's had over a point per game. And that continued through all of them. He's going to be 34 years old next season. There's no reason to believe that he's not going to be the leader of this team, whether it be in goals, in points. He's going to lead this team. And you hope, knock on wood, that he stays healthy as he did this year. My question, because we don't really have to worry about his performance quite yet. Still a point per game. Doesn't seem like he's declining all that much yet. My question for you is, could he play until he turns 40? <laughs> until he turns 40. You'd have to hope he stays healthy. We know mm -hmm. um, it's the concussion issue. You don't want to run that risk. Yeah. Especially if he wants to do stuff in the sport after retirement which a lot of people say he's going to. I don't know if anyone's actually asked <clears throat> asked him that question. I, I don't think he'd be too interested in answering that question right now because he's still playing. Correct answer. So, yeah, you just got to be careful with the concussion bit. I mean, you can suffer. I mean, you, well, you can't really keep suffering injuries and avoid a concussion, but I don't – you would have to hope he's still good enough to be doing it because at some point you see these old guys just trotting it out there and they're not good anymore. Like we've seen uh, Joe Thornton as as legendary as he is um, for the for the previous portion of his career. These last few years, what the hell has happened to him, really? I mean, he's gotten old. Yeah, he had a run at the Cup in 2016, but really since maybe the year after that, I think he's just turned into this old guy that doesn't know when to call it quits. And when his team is losing, like the Sharks did a lot last year, he loses his mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen him pop off on guys. Like, it's at some point, it's sad to see him still going like that because what is Joe Thornton really uh, going for other than a cup? Yeah, that that's very true, and it seems like that's exactly what he's going for. But I think the difference with Sidney Crosby is is listen, he can sustain that. He can sustain his skill. I think he can sustain. He's in a better spot to sustain it mm -hmm. than Joe Thornton. I would liken him a little bit more to not even not an aging Gordie Howe because Gordie Howe was a man of steel. But 
a little bit more towards Yarmir Yager. I don't think Crosby is nearly as durable as Yager is, but I think if you look at the way that Yager changed the way that he played the game, from moving from a speed game to more of a, okay, I'm going to protect the puck more, it kind of shadows and mirrors what Sidney Crosby has done. If you look at his point-per-game pace this year, it wasn't done in speed and, and absolutely phenomenal you know, pace. It's done with puck possession, holding the puck down low, cycling it very well, protecting the puck extremely well. Sidney Crosby's lower body is as strong, if not stronger, than anybody's in the league still. Not Maybe not necessarily in speed, but it's really hard to knock Sidney Crosby off the puck. It still is at the age of 34. And if you look at his contract... It already runs through his age 37 season, so he'd only be three years shy. And the fact that he's gone 16 years is not really declining all that much. He's still playing at a point-per-game pace. Last year, he played at a point-per-game pace while dealing with a core muscle injury, with a sports hernia, So at age 32. So it's going to depend on how he ages. Nobody can really tell at this point. But I think the way that he has shaped his game and sort of started to evolve his game, it likens to him playing, if he plays, what, seven more years? He doesn't have to be a point-per-game player. But if he plays seven more years and he ends up being a half-point-per-game player, who's to say he wouldn't be a great third-line center for the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2030 or 2028? I mean, you never know what's going to happen. And it'd be weird to think about Sidney Crosby as a third-line center, but he's still putting up the numbers, and it doesn't show that he's going to be slowing down, especially when you compare it to what you've seen from Evgeny Malkin, who we'll get into in a minute. Sidney Crosby has been able to keep that level. Maybe not, again, in speed, but he's changed his game to still be, and here I'll use the term, and still be a very elite player in this league. He's still a top-10 center, whereas all his competition... Most of them are at least five to ten years younger than him at this point. Man, all this talk we do of, hey, man, this isn't going to last forever. All of a sudden, you're saying seven more years for Crosby. I'll be, we will be in our 30s in seven years. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, no, I would, we would all love to see him play forever. The light, Just the likeliness of it is low because it is such a harsh sport. He has suffered a lot of injuries, but... I mean, it's an enjoyable thing to think about. A third-line center, Sidney Crosby, over, I mean, guys we don't know yet playing one and two. Yeah, Evgeny Malkin Jr. Like, I don't know. Or not Evgeny Malkin like Jr., Nikita. I should know that. Jeez. It's it's Alex Ovechkin Jr., isn't it? Yeah, it's Alex, Alex Jr. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I would love to see that, but only time will tell that. And mm -hmm. as of right now, if – he could do it i think so he just has to survive the next at least four seasons yeah we'll we'll see how he ages but as of right now he shows no signs of slowing down but again that's something to kind of take in consideration of it feels like he would be the type of player that wouldn't want to leave the game and as long as he is able to contribute it seems like he's going to be somebody that's going to want to contribute and want to stay playing but even though Nikita Malkin is probably not going to be old enough to be in the league by then, let's talk about his father, Evgeny Malkin, who had eight goals, 28 points in 33 games played. By his standards, a down season, but also dealt with a knee injury. He had off-season elbow surgery before last season, so he dealt with a lot of adversity in this season. Let's not even get to that point, but talk about 
how awful his start was because he came into camp out of shape. Admittedly, he was mm-hmm. not in the shape he wanted to be in. And that led to four points in nine games in the month of January, which was an absolutely horrendous start. Then he starts to pick up the pace. Then he gets injured. Then he comes back for the last couple of games of the season, scores a couple points. Then he misses the first couple of games of the playoffs because he's still injured. Dealing with that knee injury, which I believe was a sprained MCL, if I'm not incorrect, which is a tough injury to play through, especially against a team like the New York Islanders. And then he went out there and put out five points in four playoff games. He played extremely well in the postseason. So it's really hard to look at Evgeny Malkin and figure out what you're looking at because he's still a guy that can be physically imposing when he wants to be, but he's a guy that has dealt with so many injuries in the past two years, and he's going to be 35 next season. So how long does Evgeny Malkin have left? I think he's got shorter than Crosby. I'll leave it at that because yeah, because you mentioned the elbow uh, situation that is it's, a, it's something that is going to nag him until he retires. It is something he's putting off until the end of his career. We had this discussion a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And it's something we're going to continue to have until he retires. So, genuinely, I think that's going to... That in itself might shorten his whole career by who knows how long exactly. But, you know, we were at one point talking about who's going to last longer in the league, him or Crosby. And, I mean this point it might be Crosby just because Malkin is uh he's done everything he has already done everything he it's just a real question of when does he want to call it because he seems like a guy that would be okay with you know hanging him up not at the end of this contract maybe one more short one but at the same time I mean who knows because he's one of those uh those interesting Russian players that mm. might not ever want to stop, but this injury is going to throw a, throw a wrench in the whole situation. It seems like there's two things that we know about Evgeny Malkin when it pertains to the future. One, he still wants to win another Stanley Cup with Sidney Crosby in Pittsburgh. That's mm-hmm. one. And two, this is cross-referenced with his wife, Anna. He still wants to play in the KHL to finish his career. Now, oh. you can play in the KHL when you're older, and not as good. Hence, look at Ilya Kovalchuk winning the Gagarian Cup this year and playing extremely well. So it's not like Evgeny Malkin is running out of time to play in the KHL. He could be probably 45, and I'm sure that Magnitogorsk would still let him lace him up for them. But there is still that added extra little caveat that is something that we have to think about with Malkin that we don't with Crosby. When Crosby hangs him up in Pittsburgh, it's probably the end of his professional hockey career. But Evgeny Malkin... I feel like he still might want to play in the KHL. And if he does, then that's something else to think about because he's facing injuries. If he wants to win another Stanley Cup, I definitely think he stays a couple more years to try to let that happen. But once that window starts to look a little bit more closed, and listen, we've lost in the first round three straight years. That window, if you believe in such a thing, looks very, very, very slightly ajar at this point it's it's sliding and i did not know the khl thing so yeah it's something that comes out every once in a while and it's kind of under the radar that he still wants to play in the khl to finish off his career but again that could be six years down the road he could play in the khl when he's 50 and probably still be able to produce slightly yeah it's just we just know how russian players are man they love that league yeah they do 
I mean, Ilya Kovalchuk, <laughs> I mean, he signed a $100 million contract with the Devils two seasons later, basically, mm-hmm. was in the KHL, but then decided to come back and then decided to go right back to the KHL again. So yeah. that... Russians love that league. I mean, isn't Datsuk still Yeah, I was about to just say, Pavel Datsuk is still playing in the KHL. These are guys that, if they really, really wanted to and fancied themselves a league minimum contract and a fourth-line spot, could probably kick it around on a bad NHL team. But they want to play in the KHL because the league isn't that isn't as powerful. Plus, it's their home, and, it's their home country. And Russians exactly. have so much national pride. Yeah, so, and, and not only that, but I mean, we... I mean, we talk about the NHL like it's the top league in the in the in the world. I I mean, I've never heard this, but I'm sure Russians look at the KHL as the top league in the world. Uh, I don't know if they're that. I don't want to call them naive, but it's pretty obvious that the, the top talent is okay. in the NHL because it gathers the the best players from every country. You still have the Swedes and the Finns that are amazing playing in the NHL, and all the Canadians and North American skaters. But the KHL is the second best professional hockey league in the entire world. And Absolutely. if you're from there, there's a little bit more pride in that. Exactly. So, I mean, like I said, I mean, the KHL is full of guys that could, you know, great players, mm-hmm. you know, or past their prime veterans who really could kick it around in the NHL. Yeah. I mean, maybe not maybe not great. I think Dodsuk would still be effective. He'd probably still put up 10, 15 goals. Yeah. Like I said, as a depth piece, if but none of these guys fancy themselves like that. That's the issue there. Yeah. None of these guys want to admit that they can just sit on the fourth line, chip in here and there. They want to be the top line, right wing, center, whatever. That's where that issue crawls in. But for Malkin, I mean, he's still got the ability to definitely play in the NHL. If he was on another team, I mean, shit, he'd be probably the captain, probably most likely the first line center, depending on the team. It's who just, just who knows with him. As for how long he lasts... Now, the KHL thing just keeps creeping in my head again, and I know he's got one year left Ooh. on his contract. Yeah, one year. I don't think that'll be it for him, though. No, I think he'll sign another one- or two-year deal after that. Yeah. Trying to get that Stanley Cup, because, listen, he can play, like I said, he can play in the KHL whenever he wants. They're going to take him whenever he decides to go over there. Mm-hmm. He can only win a Stanley Cup in the next couple of years. So he'll definitely give that another shot. Now, just before we move on, a real quick caveat. If you can imagine Alex Ovechkin and Evgeny Malkin playing on the same KHL team after they both retire from the NHL, that would be uh, quite entertaining. I'd probably have to start tuning into the KHL more often. It, it would be entertaining, but we saw it not work in many Olympics. So Yeah, but the, the, again, different league. <laughs> different league, okay? But uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap it up with our weekly pens poll. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you, as always, by the Hockey Podcast Network. We will be doing that roster in review for the next week and a half, the next three episodes. Tune in on Thursday to hear us break down the Pittsburgh Penguins' bottom six forwards, as we just did earlier in this episode with the top six. But our weekly Pens poll this week said, which first-round playoff loss frustrated you the most? This most recent one, the 2021 
Six-game loss to the Isles, won the poll with 61% of the vote. Kind of, I guess, recency bias, maybe a little bit, because the second place was the 2020 loss to the Habs, got 24%, and the sweep at the hands of the Isles in 2019 came in last with 15% of the vote. Horowat, which which one frustrated you the most? It had to be this one. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, the wounds are the freshest, but it's got to be this one because, I mean, out of out of all three of those that you listed, this is the one they had the best team, they had the best opportunity, they had the best situation, and they were playing like it. They were playing as the better team. They were playing as, you know, taking advantage of the situation. I mean, we went in there and won... Yeah, it was one game, but we won the first game at the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Which, if we know anything that I have to say about it, that meant something to the damn team. Yeah, and it may have taken the air out of the tire out of the Islanders' tires a little bit, but shit happens. Um, and really, if I had to like rank these for most to least frustrating, I mean, I would say it goes this one. Man, I mean, I would say the sweep is probably second, but we just, but mostly because we played horribly all mm-hmm. around. And then there's the, then there's last season as the least frustrating, just because, I mean, we had all that time off. It was frustrating to come back and then immediately be done again. But I mean, that that team was just not <laughs> as as highly as we may have talked about it. That team was not built for shit. Yeah, if I look at these three years, I still think the worst team of the three was 2019. Absolutely. So, oh, 2019? Yeah, I think 2019 was a worse team than 2020. And I think okay. I agree with you that this year's team was the best of the three. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was the only one that won a division title. But I think 2019 was the worst team. If you look at the way that Jack Johnson was playing in 2019, he was a, li- he was a little bit better in the bubble than he was in 2019. I mean, look at the play that he made coming out of the penalty box that that's all you need to know and you look at the team that was on the ice against the Isles in that series that got swept they had no life in them they, they really didn't yeah. that was a team that Brian Rust was not the Brian Rust we see today that was a team that yes yeah, Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin were younger but I mean we all remember that was the three and four year that we were trying to win three cups in, in four years and Something was off that entire season. And then, of course, last year, you you look at the way that they ended right before the season was shut down, getting swept on a West Coast road trip by three of the worst teams in the NHL, and then losing to the 24th seed Montreal Canadiens. I think that's more disappointing because, one, the team was better. Two, your team was completely healthy. The whole season, our excuses for not being in a better position was, well, this team is dealing with injuries. Well, this team doesn't have Jake Gensel. Well, Sidney Crosby missed so much time for this team. Evgeny Malkin was great, but they still were trying to figure it out goaltending-wise. Is it, is it Matt Murray? Is it Tristan Jari? And when we got to the playoffs, everybody was healthy, but we were completely healthy. And everybody, including us, while we did say, listen, the Habs aren't a joke. We should not look past them. We didn't think we were going to lose to the Montreal Canadiens, and we certainly didn't think we'd only win one game against them. So I think that's more frustrating than in 2019. And then, of course, this year, this is a team that coming into the season, I looked at it and I said, listen, I don't believe in this team until they win a first-round series. They changed my mind going into the first-round series. I had a lot of belief that this team could do it and could go do the thing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, 
and they looked like it during the, the series too. They played well in this one, and I think that's why it's the most frustrating because they played well and they just lost due to their goaltending. I don't want to keep harping on that because Tristan Jari has become, you know, a, a really, really hard-hit punching bag, but that's what makes it more frustrating, man, is because the Penguins outplayed the New York Islanders, and they should be playing the Boston Bruins in round two right now, but they didn't get the job done. I know you're not wrong. I think there's maybe there's a little weird part of me that's looking at last year's, the 2020 losing in the bubble situation is the least frustrating because... I mean, let's be honest, there were bigger things to worry about in life than yeah. uh, hockey at the time. So maybe that's part of it for me as well. But um, I think everyone was just happy to have hockey back last year. Didn't really, you know, worry about whose team was in it exactly. Yeah, it sucked to lose to the team that only made it in because of points percentage. Mm-hmm. But carry price is going to carry price. And it's, I don't know. It's just, I definitely get where you're coming from that. I just feel like I wasn't as disappointed after I was a little, I was over last year's playoff loss a little quicker than I was uh, definitely this year's and I feel like 2019's. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just uh, discussing last year's is such a weird situation. Yeah. And I think part of that for you as well, I don't, I don't mean to try to psychology this or be, be, a, I, I already be did. A, so you're good. But I feel like part of the, your disappointment in 2019 and part of everybody's disappointment in 2019 is the three previous years, not only had the Penguins gotten pretty deep into the playoffs. I mean, game six of round two is still fairly deep into the playoffs, but you won two Stanley cups. Yeah. You weren't able to win it in the third year, but you lost to the Stanley cup champion. You still felt that this team was a team to be reckoned with. And the Islanders just completely embarrassed them for four straight games. So I feel like that could be frustrating as well. Just, seeing a fall from prominence as harshly as that was in 2019. Yeah, and plus, I mean, it was a team that I genuinely think we may have thought could still do something because it had it still had Phil Kessel there. It still had a chance to do something. Yeah. Um, Nick's, Nick Bukestad was healthy for that playoffs, at least. <laughs> and, yeah, we had Jack Johnson sit mulling around on the ice, but... Um, I don't know. I just felt like we all kind of sat back and thought there was at least some sort of potential with that 2019 team. As not well constructed as it was, I, me personally, thought it was a little, it was a little better constructed than the 2020 team. Yeah. Oh well, I guess we'll have to see if the 2021-22 team is a little bit better than that. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Thank you to everybody that tuned in. We appreciate you tuning in. We hope you tune in through all of our off-season episodes as we have a lot to dissect about the Pittsburgh Penguins. And as the off-season goes on, we'll have some some more fun little episodes, some history episodes and, and things as of that nature. But that's going to do it for this episode. We'll see you guys next week. Or I guess I should say Thursday. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Have a good one, Pets fans. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.